you know, I remember I called Casey, I said, you got to see this turtle. I've never seen anything like this. And I mean, and you're talking about, for me, three decades now of just being completely immersed in studying turtles and other reptiles, you know? And sure, we have plenty of personable turtles, but there was something different about Otis. You know, he was almost like he was trying to connect on some wavelength. And I got to be careful what I say here because I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm thinking this is something impossible, you know? Well, and it, it, this will just frustrate the listeners when they hear this. So this is the comment. You claim to be some herpetologist, but you keep common shit. Show us something rare for once. I can see better shit in my own collection. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come see this right now. And I'm like, what? And I, I go over there and they're holding a blue box turtle, you know? I mean, bright blue skin, fire red eyes. It even had some white and some like blood red orange markings. I mean, it was like... Okay, we are back from the break. Welcome back to the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan Perrin and thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're a regular listener, you know that I took the last two weeks off to just, you know, enjoy the holidays and take some time away from YouTube and editing and, you know, basically took a time away from reptiles in general almost besides obviously caring for my own collection, but I really disconnected from the internet and from Facebook and Instagram and it was really nice I have to say but it is good to be back and I, I did record a bunch of episodes while I was on my break so we have a bunch kind of loaded up ready to go including this one today. Today I'm speaking with Chris Leone of Garden State Tortoise which is an organization that focuses on breeding, rescuing animals, preservation and conservation and is run and operated by both Chris and his wife Casey. I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with Garden State Tortoise and if you are familiar with them you are certainly familiar with the turtle Otis, which is an eastern box turtle that came into Casey and Chris's life about a month and a half, two months ago. And we open up the conversation there and Chris tells us all about what makes this turtle so unusual and unique. It's really fascinating. And of course, we discuss Garden State Tortoise, how they got started, how they've developed it into what it is today. Chris also lets us in on an incredible background tip, a, a tip for making beautiful background, something that I've never come across of before. And uh, he talks us through how to do it. So hopefully some of you actually try it as well because it's a brilliant idea. We discuss a strange blue-colored eastern box turtle that Chris had found in the wild, which they have now tagged and they're doing some genetic research on. And finally, we discuss this blog post that Chris had made a few months back, specifically discussing that attitude in the hobby where if it's not rare, it's not important. You hear people talk about this all the time, whether that's actually discussing endangered species or just different types of morphs. If the species is just a normal leopard gecko, then people seem to you know look down on it or not care about it and value that life less. And Chris wrote an incredible blog post discussing how poisonous that attitude is and it was really really great fascinating conversation so we discussed that as well and actually we also discussed hibernating tortoises through the winter and i think that's it we, we did have quite a range of conversations so i know you will enjoy it before we jump into it please make sure you head to animalsathomenetwork.com if you're looking for more information on this episode or any other episode that has been produced up until this point if you would like to join us on Patreon, head to patreon.com slash animals at home. There you have early access to episodes as well as the opportunity to ask questions to upcoming guests. And now that it's the new year, we will definitely be firing up a few more Zoom Keeper chats, which are always a great time. So hopefully you can come and check out those as well. Thank you so much to CustomReptileHabitats.com for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for anything new reptile related, make sure you check out the affiliate link in both the YouTube description and the show notes. All right, let's jump into the first episode of 2022. Enjoy. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. 
I'm very excited to chat with you. You know, typically I like to lay the foundation first, but I'm just too excited to talk about, talk about this one topic first. So I think we need to start talking about Otis off the top of the show. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> this, this Otis has, uh, you know, taken the world by storm in some ways. And uh, I would just, for some people are probably listening that actually aren't aware of him at all. So maybe you could talk about who he is and how he came into your life and what's peculiar about him. Sure. Uh, <laughs> He, uh, he came into our lives. It's funny. It's kind of been a blur already. You know, I feel like, I feel like we've had him maybe two months now. Um, and when the YouTube video came out, we only, we had just gotten him, you know, it was, it was like that video came out within like a week and, um, we do pretty much all the rescue involving turtles in the state of New Jersey. So whether it's fish and wildlife or one of the commissions or, uh, uh, the zoos, you know, they, um, and the rehab centers, they always come to us and, you know, nine times out of 10, it's reared sliders, but we do get our fair share of other turtles. A lot of times they're native. And in this case, it was a native Eastern box turtle. And, um, my buddy, uh, John Bergman, who runs the popcorn park animal refuge, he's a wonderful man. He, he does incredible things for wildlife and, uh, and even domestic animals and everything at his zoo is a rescue everything from the lions to the cougars, you know, they had an elephant at one time, they have a huge Aldabra tortoise, everything is a rescue with some kind of crazy story. And he like, you know, even though it's commonplace for us to do stuff with him and, and take animals that, that need homes, he, uh, you know, he feels bad after a while. He's like, you know, he'll, he'll be here with like 30 red-eared sliders and a couple other things. And then like the next day, it's like, Hey, I got another one. So the one night he calls me and he goes, um, I got a, another box turtle for you. And I'm like, all right. And, you know, box turtles are no problem for us. Number one, we love them. They're one of our favorite things. And number two, especially when it's the Eastern, it's they're native here. So it's, it's kind of no skin off our backs to house them. You know, we have big pens. They just go right outside. They start living a natural life and, and that's it. You know, they, it's not like, you know, having to take a big sulcata and bring it inside and figure out what the heck you're going to do with it for the winter, you know? So I was like, no, it's, that's no problem, John. And he was like, uh, uh, yeah, well, this one's different. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And he said, well, he can't live with, with any other turtles. I was like, oh, what was he mean? He's like, he's mean to other turtles, but you, you got to see him. And I'm like, oh, all right. You know, so I hung up. I didn't even say anything to Casey. I was like, John's coming down tomorrow with, with some other turtles. She's like, oh, okay, great. Can't wait to see him. So he shows up that evening and he's got, you know, some red-eared sliders and boxes and we're unloading them. And I'm like, where's this box turtle you're talking about? He goes, oh, he's back here. <laughs> so he, he opens up the door to the van and here's Otis stretched out. Just like he just, just chilling, took the ride. Like, what's up, dude? <laughs> and I was like, what, what's going on here? He was like, this is what I'm talking about. There's, there's this, something's up with this turtle. <laughs> so he was explaining to me how the turtle didn't want to be around anybody, uh, any other turtles. It, it would flip them on their backs, you know, terrorize the females, uh, fight the males but he just wanted to be around people. So like they had him, I think in like a back room, cause they weren't going to put him on exhibit or anything yet. Uh, and he would just constantly chase people down and try to interact with them, the whole thing. So I was like, okay, you know, he took, so he told me all that. And I, and I tried, and still to this day, we try to get some information on his background because he, when his video took off, of course there were a million questions. Um, some people thought he had been stolen. Maybe some people just couldn't fathom why somebody would get rid of an animal like this. Well, in the end, why does anybody get rid of any animal? You know, it doesn't have to be a particularly charismatic one like Otis, you know, it, people get rid of old dogs because they're tired of it. They don't want to deal with it. They want to get a puppy. People 
do things like that, unfortunately. So I kept trying to get information, but all John could tell me was that he was with his previous owners for 10 years, that they did keep him outside in the summer and that he was inside for the winter um, and that they, they fed him normal box turtle food. Well, he definitely was fed the right thing because his growth and his stamina and everything is flawless. Um, but, and, and, uh, you know, he, he recognizes the right foods, you know what I mean? He's not going after pizza. He's, he's going after worms, snails, um, you know, all, all kinds of stuff that box turtles should eat. So, you know, I brought him in our building that night and, uh, our, our little nature center and didn't think anything of it. And then like the next day I went out there and he just immediately, he just started in with me, you know, and, and I've never seen this kind of behavior where, I mean, if anybody's, you know, you know, you, you've seen the video, it's, it's just really hard to explain what the turtle is, is trying to do. Um, and, and that was just kind of like, you know, I remember I called Casey, I said, you got to see this turtle. I've never seen anything like this. And I mean, and you're talking about for me, three decades now of just being completely immersed in studying turtles and other reptiles, you know, and sure, we have plenty of personable turtles uh, that beg for food, chase you down, you know, Greek tortoises that'll ram your feet, you know, Blanding's turtles that are climbing on your feet to get food. Everybody's got some kind of personable reptile. We have snakes that have a lot of personality, but there was something different about Otis. You know, he was almost like he was trying to connect on some wavelength. And I got to be careful what I say here because I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm thinking this is something impossible, you know? So one thing led to another and we just kept watching his behavior and how he would constantly follow you. He would pull on your pant legs. He would climb up your foot and he kept doing this thing where he would just stare you in the face. And, you know, I've reached out to a lot of different people that have studied box turtles on a professional level, whether it's in the field or in captivity in the zoo world. And nobody can really come up with any bona fide reason for why he's doing this. Uh, a couple of theories is that, you know, with box turtles, the males will study the eyes of another individual, you know, um, to maybe they're picking up on the color of it, which could be why the female and males, uh, eye color varies. So we thought maybe that's what he's trying to do. If he, is he trying to figure out what I am? Is he trying to figure out what Casey is? He's so used to people that he, does he realize that he's not even looking at another turtle, but his only way of doing it is to study your eyes because he moves with every single movement you make. Mm -hmm. His eyes follow yours. Um, and, and that was it, you know, that was it really. We, we just started, you know, putting out content with him, the video, and then that just went haywire. So we started making shirts and those started flying off the shelves, you know, <laughs> and now he's just, uh, he's, I guess he's a, a famous turtle. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is incredibly bizarre and it's very dog-like for anyone that hasn't seen the videos. I'm sure most people listening to the podcast have seen the video, but he just looks like he's acting like a dog. And it, the, the most peculiar thing is the way he looks at you guys. Yeah. He's staring at you and it's looking, it does look like without trying to personify him, it looks like he's thinking and trying to figure out what's going on. It's very right. strange. It's almost like there's some kind of problem solving ability going on there. Uh, and, you know, I even tested it in the video it's not a feeding response. You know, now that he's settled down, like, you know, he, he gets excited to eat, you know, and, and like I said, he eats all the normal foods that he's supposed to, he knows how to take down an earthworm, no problem. But, uh, he, um, during this whole, like trying to figure out what was going on, you know, because I knew that people right away were going to be like, Oh, that's just a feeding response. But then we proved in the video that it's not, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
there's definitely a little bit of a level of aggression there. Nothing over the top. I mean, again, we're talking about a box turtle. So how bad could that really get? But I tested it in the one follow-up video. We started making these Otis short videos um, where I purposely get close enough to him and he bit, he latched right onto my nose, you know? And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> it, so, it hurt. Yeah. I, yeah. I imagine that hurt. And so you wonder... And it's, it's, but it's not like it's full tilt aggression all the time because it's not no. like he's coming after you guys all the time. He, it's, no. it's something different than that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, it's like, you know, nobody can, uh, I've had people write in that are, you know, animal behaviorists, you know, um, veterinarians, zoologists, you know, and, and they're all like, Man, I, I I don't know. You know, my the guys that I work with have come over to meet him, and they're all just completely perplexed. You know, uh, it's it's just something totally different. And and you know, again, we work with a lot of personable animals here, and even smart animals. You know, a, a, a big part of what we do is with North American wood turtles, which is arguably considered the smartest reptile on the planet. And when you put them up, when you put them up against monitor lizards, there's a lot of you know uh, gray area there. But um, for, especially for turtles, they're incredibly smart. They do have problem solving capabilities, but Otis is just, uh, it's crazy, man. And you know what? Like I see what people are saying now, why would somebody give this turtle up, you know? Mm. Uh, but we'll never know. I mean, it's been, you know, a couple months now, nobody, we even thought once the video took off the way it did, maybe the old owners would come back and be like, Hey, we want that turtle back, you know? thinking he was worth something, you know? Yeah. Well, they, maybe it was the only turtle they ever had and they just assumed that's how box turtles were. You never know. And yeah. Have you tried, like, do you think you'll try pushing training wise, like seeing if you can get him to learn more things and, and, you know, solve problems and whatnot? I think that's, we definitely want to do a bunch of different things with him. Um, we were trying not to, you know, we did a couple of the Otis shorts. We featured him in a couple of videos here and there. Um, we didn't want to oversaturate people with them. We also want people to know that like, you know, it's, it's not just Otis here. We've been doing this our whole lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole lot to us, but, um, we are, and part of that too, is like, we don't want to just put out silly content. That was the purpose of the shorts was to do a couple funny things with him, you know, um, where he bites my nose. He, uh, I did a Halloween special with him where I carved out some pumpkins and stuffed them with fruits and stuff to see if he would respond to them. But even in that video, he was more interested in me than the three pumpkins right in front of him that had like strawberries and bananas and all this other stuff hanging out of them. Um, so what we're doing, like, like you just says, we're, we're trying to think of different things that we want to do. One thing that we definitely are going to do in a future video is introduce him to a female. He's a male. He's got to get some frustrations out. You know, he's going to go through those, you know, annual peaks in the spring and fall where he needs to breed, but we're nervous about the right turtle to put him with because a lot of the turtles that we get like him, are rescues, but they were part of groups. We get a lot of confiscated animals that are severely compromised, you know, and they, they, they're all carrying some kind of weird diseases and stuff. Um, and even though a lot of the turtles appear healthy now, it doesn't mean that they're not carrying something. And God forbid we introduce that to Otis, we could lose them. Mm -hmm. So we're going to wait for the perfect turtle to come along. You know, she's clean, she's going to get screened and, and get checked out by a, a professional to make sure that she isn't carrying something that can be passed on to him and even vice versa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to do that. And then we definitely want to try to test his intelligence with some level of training, which is great because Casey was an animal trainer, you know, for two different zoos. And she worked with, you know, a lot of stuff that can kill you, you know? So, uh, there's definitely plans on the horizon to, uh, try to figure out, try to, try to get some kind of explanation, you know? 
yeah, that's the thing is it is just such a mystery. So it'll be interesting to see how far that goes and and yeah, how it, how it develops. So I'm sure everybody will be watching to see how that goes. Well, why don't we rewind and get back to the origin stories of how you have made, made your way to where you are now. So how did reptiles first pop into your life? Five years old, sitting in a sandbox in my parents' yard, playing with GI Joes. And my father was mowing the lawn and he hit a box turtle. One just like Otis, a male, a male box turtle that happened to crawl into our yard. Uh, and this is in central New Jersey or northern New Jersey, if, you know, if you're local. And uh, he just he just grazed the top of it. You know, I don't want people to think he like cut this thing in half. You know, he he put a little scuff on it. The turtle was lucky. It just so happened to be sticking up out of the grass and he just scuffed the shell. And he gave it to me. And that's all I remember. You know, from, from that moment on, it was just turtles, 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 turtles. You know, it wasn't Ninja Turtles anymore. It wasn't GI Joes. It wasn't, you know, I mean, I still love dinosaurs, but it wasn't just dinosaurs anymore at the time. It was, I needed the real thing. We, you know, I, we needed, to, I needed to have turtles. So, you know, we didn't know any better at the time. And, and my dad coming from Italy where this was common practice, we, you know, he drilled a little hole in the marginal scoot in the back and tethered it with a fishing line. And we had that turtle for, I don't know how long, you know, a couple of times over the summer, it would break the line, escape. We would find it again. And we knew it was that one because it had the abrasion on the top of the shelf from the lawnmower. And then one day that thing finally snapped the string for good and was like, I'm out of here. You know, there's no way <laughs> that enough. these clowns are, there's no way these clowns are finding me again, you know? <laughs> and um, so then I just, from that point forward, you know, I, I, everything had to be turtles, you know, for Christmas, I got a red eared slider, you know, and then that escaped because I didn't know what I was doing. And then my parents got me a painted turtle. And then I found more box turtles behind the yard, behind the fence in the yard. And my dad would build a pen for them. We'd keep them for the summer and then release them. And then that snowballed into other reptiles, you know, uh, and I would dabble in snakes and lizards and, and amphibians here and there. Uh, and then, um, yeah, it just, it just snowballed from there, you know? So during that time, as you're going through high school and middle school and whatnot, were you thinking that you'd move towards a job that focused on reptiles? I was and still am extremely stubborn with that. I didn't want anybody to teach me. I didn't want anybody to tell me how to do it. I had to do it on my own. So I drove my poor parents crazy. You know, they wanted me to go to college, you know, become a veterinarian, become a zoologist, biologist or whatever. And, and I, you know, I fought them on that. And then I was also a musician at the time. So right out of high school, I went on tour. So I kind of left the ref reptile thing behind for a while and um, focused on the music career and got to a certain level with that, you know, um, dabbled in a couple different bands, each one having different levels of, you know, minor success. And then, um, then when I met Casey, I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be on the road anymore. You know, they're, they're, I was comfortable, you know, I was happy. And we just had this crazy idea. Cause at that point I was like, what am I even going to do? You know, I literally am, I'm in my late twenties at this point and I have no real career mapped out. You know, I just know one thing that I'm good at, which is, you know, reptile husbandry, you know, the biology of them, the whole thing, but I had no schooling behind it. And so we had this idea to start garden state tortoise and the name Garden State Tortoise just came from a screen name that I was using for years on like these reptile forums and stuff, you know? And then, you know, I, I approached her with it. I was like, what do you think about starting this? And she's like, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. And um, we started it with the intent to just be a breeding facility, you know, just be a breeder that, that could just, you know, be the best breeder in the world, whatever, you know? And, um, and that's what 
got us our first push. Um, and then, then there was just things that happened along the way that morphed us into what we are now, which is, you know, we, we are still breeders, but there's just so much more to it. You know, that's, that's just one little piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to dig into that a little bit because I do find it fascinating when people make that transition from, okay, I want to be a breeder. I want to supply the the pet trade with animals and then sliding into what you do now, which is way more broad and way more preservation and conservation focused. Was there certain events along the way that was just like, I need to do more, like more purposeful, you know, breeding and keeping or, or how did that transition into something more, you know, conservation focused? I, um, I honestly think it comes from being a kid that just wanted to be in the woods all the time. You know, um, you know, we're huge Disney fans now and that's where we vacation. Casey's a Disney travel agent, but when I was a kid and my parents would try to take me to Disney, what do you think I was doing there? Do you think I wanted to meet Mickey Mouse or go on rides? No, I was trying to catch anoles and other lizards that were running around in, in the different veg- vegetated areas of the parks, you know? So I always wanted to be in the woods and I became obsessed with the habitats. So even at a very young age, I didn't want to keep turtles in tubs or tanks or tortoises in boxes, even though sometimes I had to, because I just had a bedroom, you know, I wanted to have these naturalistic environments, which just kind of, um, enabled me to dive into, you know, the ecology and, and biology behind all of this. So I think that's, that's definitely probably where it stemmed from. And even still to this day, like, I'll make something for these animals and, and I'm still not happy with it. It's still got to change. It's still got to be more naturalistic. It's still got to be this, still got to be that. So I think that's what um, opened my eyes to seeing what these animals were actually going through. You know what I mean? And also seeing how the rest of the community, and this is very big in the turtle and tortoise community where everybody's like focusing on like the same few animals or the same groups of animals. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, what's wrong with, with, our American species. You know what I mean? Like nobody's paying attention to these things here and they're disappearing just like, you know, the ones from Asia, the ones from Africa, you know? So it, that just, so that started to happen. And I started to write a lot of different articles. I started with making videos on YouTube at the time. I didn't know what I was doing and I actually missed the boat on that, which I'll get to. And, um, I guess through all that, our name just started circulating. And before we knew it, you know, we had like fish and wildlife agencies contacting us, asking us if we could take in confiscations. And that was, that was eye opening. It was like, wait, why, you know, why are they trusting us? Why us? You know? And then we really just developed a very solid relationship, especially with our state wildlife agency. And, um, and the more and more that that kept happening, you know, other avenues opened up, which became why we do these rescues with the zoos, you know, Casey started working for zoos. Um, and then we, like, I, I would say like our first, like, I don't know, I don't know what, how to call this. Like the only thing that's coming to mind is like big break, but I, it's not even that we hatched twin uh, tortoises in 2015 and kind of like the Otis thing. I just made this quick, silly video. It's such a boring video. Like I'm not even talking in it. And it just, it just hit the news. It just went crazy. Like, you know, millions of views, uh, Fox news coming to our house to interview us about this was like before tortoise twins were cool. Now it seems like you see somebody hatch them like every like few months, you know, you were the original. I, I, I there were people before me too, you know, and, but for some reason, this particular story just took off and I missed the boat on YouTube because I wasn't taking YouTube seriously at the time. I was like, well, I don't, whatever. 
I didn't even monetize that video, man. <laughs> like, it got 3 million views. Uh, and I'm oh like, wait, God. what's what, wait, what's monetization? You know? 3 million so, views. That's crazy. 3 million views. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and then we did, I did a couple other like super boring scientific videos to follow that up with just tortoises in general that would get like 30,000, 50,000, you know? And then I just abandoned YouTube and, and I focused on Instagram and Facebook and those two accounts got big and that's where it's been resting for a while until everybody, everybody kept pushing me, dude, you got to do YouTube that you got to do, you got to get do it. You got to do it. It was hard for me to get into it because I, all I kept thinking was I had the video, I had the video that made it and I never did anything about it. I, I can't, it's not going to happen again. And it still hasn't as big as Otis has gotten. And we've had a couple other videos that have similar amounts of views that he does that he has right now. Um, you know, that, you know, 3 million views, that's insane, you know? And that's not even the top tier of what a lot of these accounts are getting out there these days, you know? So altogether, it was one big jump into education. So that's what we became. We became this like conservation, preservation, education company, you know, mm. we're still breeding, but we're, we're doing a lot of work with conservation. And I actually have a paid job in conservation now. And it's just kind of come full circle. We kind of have our hands in a little bit of everything now, you know? So can you talk a little bit about the sort of the iterations of Garden State Tortoise as it started? Because I'm, I'm guessing, like you had mentioned, was it at the beginning at your home in your garage type thing? Or and then, I mean, now I know it is still at your home, but I'm sure you've moved locations. Because when I see your videos now at your current property with your current nature center, it really does look like the perfect setup for you guys. You have all these incredible pens outside and this amazing building. I imagine it did not start there. I know it didn't start there. So where did no. it start? It started at my parents' house when I was just using the name Garden State Tortoise as, as a screen name, like I told you. you know, I would be on kingsnake.com and Fauna Classifieds, and I would be on the tortoise forums and the turtle forums as Garden State Tortoise. You know? and, um, but it was no official entity or anything yet. It was just a screen name. And um, at the time that, that I first started using that name, I, I just had turtles at my parents' house, you know, a couple small pens in the backyard. Uh, and, and then, you know, tubs in the, in the garage or in, in the bedroom that I always irked me, but it was the only way to do it during a New Jersey winter with some of this exotic stuff. And then the first big thing we did, I don't remember what year it was, but my dad made a deal with me. If he said, if you, if we, if you help me take down the swimming pool, because we had this big above ground swimming pool in, in my parents' backyard, but nobody used it anymore. because We were all grown up. He goes, if you, if you help me take it down, uh, we'll, we'll turn it into a big turtle pond. I was like, oh my God, you know? So we did that and we built this huge, awesome, awesome pond right off the deck. So it looks like when you're standing on their deck that you're actually on the water, um, which you're not, but, uh, and uh, I still, to this day, when I go to their house, I'm like, man, that pond, like we just, we just knocked it out of the park when, you know, when he and I did it and, um, we built it for Blanding's turtles and we put some other species in there. So that was, that was the first, like. I think I'm onto something here. I think I could, you know, I would love to have like a real facility one day, you know, like not necessarily open to the public, which we still aren't, you know? And, uh, so then, and, and the turtles stayed there, you know, then I, I went on the, 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 um, spree of living with all my buddies in, in the shore towns and in my party days and stuff like that. And, and just still had turtles at their house, you know? And then, um, then when I met Casey, we decided we wanted to live together. So we rented this, big old farmhouse built in uh, 1891 on 10 acres in, uh, in more Northern Jersey. Uh, so we moved into that place and actually my sister moved in with us at the time. And uh, 
we just started building all these pens there. Sort of, and we had an unfinished basement downstairs that stayed nice and warm in the winter. So I filled that with all kinds of enclosures. And then, and I really, that first, that first house that we rented was really um, how I, I guess I became like more creative and artistic with the, with the enclosures. And I was, there's still plenty of photos of those old enclosures on our Instagram and even, and even YouTube um, where you can see like how we were really able to bring this, like um, these very natural looking enclosures to life, you know? And then uh, fast forward six years or so in that house. Uh, and this is all while, you know, things are starting to snowball. We, we, we made garden state tortoise official and then, you know, different things would happen here and there to boost us. People were coming to film with us, uh, more, more news coverage and stuff. And then, um, we, my wife became pregnant with our first daughter and we were like, we have nowhere to put a baby. Like we can't, we can't do this. You know, it's not safe, you know? So she was panicked. I talked to our landlord and he was going to let us like use his warehouse for the animals for like just the cost of paying the electric. The warehouse was a mess and it would have cost so much money to get it, you know, suitable to house animals. So she pushed me to start looking for a home to buy. And I thought there's no way we're not, there's, this isn't going to happen. You know, we're not going to get approved for a mortgage. So one day we, we used to, we would come down to this village in South Jersey uh, where uh, we would just love to get breakfast. We'd just come down here to get breakfast, walk around the village and go home. And she was being sneaky and she was looking at houses for sale down here because South Jersey is significantly cheaper than North Jersey. Mm. And uh, she found this. And it was a just over two acre property with a brand new house that was just built in 2011 with a um, 1200 square foot pole barn that was almost finished, just needed to be wired and all that. And uh, I, I was against my better judgment. I was like, oh, we could try, you know, well, we ended up getting the mortgage commitment, um, got approved and we bought the house and moved in on in Halloween um, 2016. And then it was like, once like the excitement and the reality settled down of actually getting this place, it was like, wow, now we can like, we can go nuts, you know? And that's what we did. We just started making huge enclosures. Um, and then we, you know, we started finishing the, the building, which eventually became the nature room, you know, and, and that's, that's how it, uh, that's how we landed where we are. Yeah, there's. A, I've rented all my life or all my adult life, and I can imagine that moment when I do buy a home. There's that probably that feeling where you think, you know, you could break down a wall if you want, but you don't really like. You know, there's that yeah. moment where you just like, I can do whatever I want. I could mm -hmm. trash this. I could take this wall down. I could paint it. I could do whatever. <laughs> I don't have to ask anybody. And because now, you know, as you're renting, everything is like, should I do that? Should I really put enclosures in this yeah. room? Like, I don't right. own it. So. Yeah, that that seems amazing. Can you talk a little bit about the the nature center? So you guys built it, and and what what is in there because it's a really unique setup. And I would like you to also answer why there's gravel on the floor. Why you guys decided <laughs> to do that? Um, the gravel thing actually started long before we decided to turn into a nature room. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason was because we, when we bought this place, we were tapped. We were broke because you know we we had to buy the house, and we had to also. Um, get as much built and set up in the fall. It was, it was, you know, we moved in on Halloween. So now we're in November. Mm. South Jersey is significantly di different than North Jersey when it comes to its climate. You know, there's, there's times in the dead of winter where I can literally go outside and just t-shirt on, you know, it doesn't last, but it happens. Um, so here we are, it's November. 
the temperatures are dropping, the leaves are falling, and we've got hundreds of animals to get set up. So I'm cashing in favors with family members. They're coming down with shovels. We're digging. We're, we're, my mother-in-law was able to get me like unbelievable amount of wood. I mean, it, it looked like a lumber yard here uh, at cost, which was still, but it was still a fortune because of the amount we needed. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out how to cut corners. So when it came time to start finishing the building so we can get the exotic stuff inside, you know, we priced out a concrete floor with like drains and stuff. And it was just for, for what we were going through, it was astronomical. And we just couldn't afford it. So we're like, what's the next best thing? So one of my buddies was like, dude, just do a gravel floor. And I was like, what do you mean a gra- gravel floor? And they're like, think about it. It's going to be really warm in there because of all the lighting and heating and everything. Even on the coldest nights, it's going to be really warm in there because the building's insulated. You don't have water out there. You don't even have a sink, nothing. You could just dump everything right into the floor. And it'll just, and I'm thinking, that is the, that's awesome. So for six years now, or just over five, that's what we've been doing is just dumping stuff right into the rock and it just, it just goes right into the ground. There's nothing to worry about. And then, you know, we can, you know, rinse out water dishes and stuff in, in the house or with the hose, whatever. So we decided to just keep going that route. And then when we decided to turn half, that's just half of the building. The other half is not the nature center. We wanted to keep the gravel floor, but I wanted it to be more attractive. It was just, it used to just be like the blue driveway stone in there. Mm-hmm. So I removed a bunch of that, but still left like a thin layer of it. And then we just brought in a ton of pea gravel. And the reason we did pea gravel is because it, it's aesthetically pleasing. And because you do see, you do find pea, pea gravel in the pine barrens, you know, in, in different areas where, um, where it's like Cedar creeks and stuff down here. So, um, that's, that's why there's a gravel floor. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Well, it just works. Say, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting and it actually looks really good. And, and as you were saying, you know, with the older place, you were learning how to make things look aesthetic and whatnot. And now I love the way the whole room looks, but also each enclosure. And I think one of the things that you do that I've never seen anyone do is the photo, like the printout backgrounds. Oh yeah. That, that, that I don't, I've never seen, did you come up with that idea or have you seen someone else do that? Like it's no, such a brilliant we, we, idea. Well, again, like I, I always like so many of my buddies in the hobby are like, dude, you're crazy. Like, why, why are you paying, you know, paying attention to it? And it's, it's like a disease. I, I can't, I can't help it. Like, I want to feel like I'm outside even when I'm inside, you know? So I, uh, I knew I wanted to do these, uh, really awesome backgrounds in there and I couldn't figure out, you know, I didn't want to just go buy aquarium backgrounds or whatever. And what happened was we started with, with the nature room, the first enclosures that went in, was um, my dad, my uncle, and my brother-in-law, and myself. We went out, we bought a bunch of different um, materials, and we built the snake enclosures. And those are the ones that are along the wall that are white with the glass fronts. And they're made out of, um, I always say this wrong, I don't know if it's melamine or melamine, the, you know, mm-hmm. like the particle board that's coated in white. Yeah. So you know, it's not, a, it's not a glass background, so you can't put something behind it and see it. So I had to figure out how to put a background inside the enclosure that could get wet and not get ruined for like, you know, if a snake spills a water bowl or you want to spray them down and make it look like it's raining in there. So Casey and I kept like racking our brains. We're like, should we print things out, get them laminated? And then, you know, and it was getting expensive and stuff. So then we found this company called Smart Press. And, you know, maybe if, if anybody, um, it, you know, maybe they'll get ideas from hearing this. They're called Smart Press and they print corrugated plastic signs. It's just real thin plastic but it's sturdy and it can get as wet as you want because it's made to be outdoors. So what we do is we went out to the Pine Barrens, different areas that I actually work at. And we took these really nice landscape photos and had them printed. You can make any custom sizes you want. Like the ones for Otis are like five feet long and there's two of them. 
they print the exact photo on there. And then you can, if it, you need to cut it down a little bit, you just take a utility knife and cut a little bit off. It's very easy. And then we just use some caulk, you know, some sealant and put it all, you know, lather it up on the back and it just glues right to the back of the enclosure. So it's, uh, it's, it looks awesome. Right? You know, everybody it comes over so and sees good. it. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really amazing because even, even like those old school, like fish backgrounds can sometimes come off as like tacky, you know, it's like these like right. you know, weird, like background, but those look like you're looking through a window and the way you have the substrates, obviously, because you live in that area. So you just go outside and gather a bunch of stuff off the floor and it just yeah. fits in with the photo so perfectly. It's just such a good idea. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, I, I hope, um, I'm glad you brought it up because I always forget to bring that up. And I think, I think you can give people some really good ideas. Cause I do, there's, there's a good amount of people in the hobby that, you know, really want to go, you know, they're, they're tired of looking at just a glass background, you know, and, and even the animal, maybe the animals noticing like, Oh, you know, that's a tree. That's not a wall, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that, that dude, that was like my, one of my favorite things to do in there. And I actually rushed it. Like it wasn't even time to do that yet. And I'm in here with Casey, like making her stay up to one o'clock in the morning so we could like order the sizes we need. And she's like, you're not even putting the snakes in anytime soon. I'm like, I don't care. I got it. I know this is going to work. I got to see it. You know? Yeah. You have so, that vision. Yeah. So yeah. Anybody listening, uh, smart press, smartpress.com, uh, corrugated plastic signs. You can print whatever you want on them and they're great for reptile enclosures. Yeah. Yeah. And they're rugged. They're not going to be, they're not going to fall apart. It's a, no, it's a brilliant idea. The only and, thing I will say if you use them for, you know, lizards that have more powerful claws, they, they probably will scratch them a little bit, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a chance you got to take, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a great idea. And then so it's, so you have the, the building, the indoor building, you have a few animals in there, snakes and, and turtles and, and, a, and I don't there's some tortoises in there as well. There's one tortoise, Iris. Okay. She's a Texas tortoise and she's the only one in there because she's the only American tortoise we have. Right. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and then outside you have quite a lot of, you have how many pens outside? Oh boy. Uh, man, I don't know the answer to this. A lot. Yeah, there's a lot. And, and we've like broken down walls uh, to, you know, blow certain pens out and then put in walls to make certain pens smaller, depending on the animals we're trying to accommodate the, the actual size of the animals or the size of the group that's in there. But I, I, uh, God, I don't know. Cause now there's the aquascape pond too. So that's another pen. Um, there's got to be like 50 or more, you know, pens out there. Yeah. 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 And, and those, are, those are, can you talk about just how you build those pens? Like it's very basic. That's sort of makes me jealous is how easy it is to build a, a like a turtle pen outside, how, how cheap it is just a couple pieces of wood and that's it. Well, I mean, now thanks to the pandemic, wood is ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, so now, I mean, I, I want, I went to go do a divider in one of the pens this summer, just a divider. You know, I think it was like, I needed like 25 feet. You know, so I needed like, you know, two levels of planks, a couple posts and like, you know, another plank to make the lips and the turtles can't climb. It's like 350 bucks Yeah, to make a divider, you know, (laughs) so it's just insane now, man. But, but yeah, I mean, all all I do is, um, I just go to Home Depot and I get pressure treated wood, you know, which contrary to popular belief is perfectly safe to use for turtle and tortoise pens. Um, and it gets weathered quickly, you know? Um, but it lasts at least up here. I've heard people from like Florida and Georgia say that it won't work down there because it's just too humid and, and it'll rot. But I mean, I've, I, I even brought some wood from the old place. So some of these planks that I've got are like 10, 12 years old now, mm. and they're in perfect condition. Um, 
and that's it really, you know, just decide how we want it to be, you know, and, and it's all it is, is just, I get those, um, those landscape timbers, those, those four by four landscape timbers to use as posts, those go in the ground, like 18 inches or 24 inches, if it's like a kind of wet area. Uh, and then the, the board gets flat, uh, flush up against that and screwed in. And then the corners are capped off. Or if it's a species like wood turtles that can really climb, no matter what, the whole pen gets a, li- a lift, you know, like a shelf across the whole top. And depending on the species, depends on how far into the ground we go. Most of the pens are anywhere between uh, 18 and 24 inches tall. Um, so for like, for like the Herman's tortoises, you know, they get like maybe 18 inches. There's only a couple of inches that the plank actually goes into the ground because they're not big on digging out. Uh, but something for like a Russian tortoise, it goes in further because they can dig. And then like our alligator snapping turtles, those walls are like, they're like three and a half, maybe three to three and a half feet tall, just because we have kids. And and if, you know, the female comes up to lay eggs, if, if she were to get out and then somebody gets too close to her, you know? Um, but that's, yeah, that's really it, man. It, it's, it is pretty simple as far as like the perimeter goes, you know? And you don't do anything like for the species like Russians, for example, that are going to be digging. You don't do anything underneath. You just, your, your solution is just digging, or, you know, putting the walls further into the ground and that's it. I once read, uh, in a book, um, I can never say the guy's last name, forgive me. Uh, his name's Wolfgang and his, the initial of his last name is W. He wrote the book, uh, naturalistic keeping and breeding of Herman's tortoises. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's a complete expert on the subject and he's from Germany. And he was the one that opened my eyes to, if you make the pen spacious enough and naturalistic enough, the tortoises are not going to want to get out. Granted, there's going to be times where they pace, like when females have to lay eggs, you know, and they get restless. But if you make the tortoise confident, you know, comfortable and content, it's not going to try to dig out. So still as, as a precaution, I go a little bit in there, you know, and yeah, they, they, I have never had a tortoise dig out. Never, never even try, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I remember I was talking to someone else about this with monitors. And I think as humans, we always put our own minds in a tortoise. We're like, they're going to want to dig down. They're going to dig under and get out. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, the, the turtle's not necessarily thinking about, uh, you know, how, how the fence works and how to get underneath right. and get out to the other side. So they're just yeah. going to dig down and then come back up. Right. And, uh, one of my patrons actually had a question for you that was to do with, I think it was box turtle breeding. I think maybe mm-hmm. he had heard you talking about it on maybe the podcast and just the, the use of tubs and racks and, and when they can be used and how to effectively use them and, okay. and then when to move them out. So uh, I think you do use tubs or you recommend using tubs when you're breeding box turtles. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a couple different ways that work and I'm actually still experimenting, but I, I found, and I did a video on it where it, it, what seems to really work well, I mean, number one, the, to preface this, box turtles have to be incredibly humid and they need water. They just, they absolutely need water. People have to get it out of their heads that you can't compare box turtles to tortoises whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just can't. Not even the ornates in the deserts that come from more scrubland like tortoises do. They, they are always seeking humidity. That's why ornates and desert box turtles spend so much time underground. Sometimes they're underground 90% of the time because that's where it's humid. That's where it's wet. You know, they don't want to be out where they are going to fry. So especially in the case of like Eastern, three-toed Florida, Gulf Coast, Yucatan, Coheelan, uh, and even Mexican box turtles. And this even goes for uh, Asian box turtles. I do the same thing with our Chinese box turtles. uh, And on the rare occasion when we have young flowerback box turtles, they have to be subjected to water. So one of the best ways to do it is to take something like a snake enclosure, okay, something like a vision cage, 
uh, a herb cage or like the custom ones that we made. Mm-hmm. And there's something that is going to just be completely closed in just a little area for ventilation or light uh, or heat or some kind of heat where you're doing heat tape or, um, or like a ceramic heat emitter or spotlight. And so this way there's just an incredible amount of humidity. And then when you actually place the neonates, the hatchlings in shallow water with just like a little bit of things to hide under, like uh, a fake plant or a live plant or some of those um, coconut hides that they use for like baby snakes and hermit crabs, mm-hmm. The turtles are fully subjected to being in water all the time. So that's not going to hurt them. They're constantly constantly absorbing the moisture that they need from the water they're in and the air around them. And it also helps to keep them a little more active so that you're not constantly trying to find them. Okay. Box turtles are inevitably programmed to stay hidden. That's it. They know they're vulnerable. They know they're bite size. They hate bright light. So they only come out when there's that spotty light to bask a little bit, and then that's it. They're gone. They heat up real quick, and then they head down into leaf litter, pine litter, mulch, whatever they can find, and they just stay there. And think about it. These areas that they force themselves to stay in are loaded with little invertebrates and stuff, so they don't even have to go out looking. They could just be sitting there for hours, and the next minute, you know, something comes walking by or a little tiny worm, and that's it. That's a meal right there. Mm -hmm. So that... And just constantly absorbing the precious moisture, they swell up and they just grow and grow and grow and grow. They get out of that fragile stage faster. Now, I'm not saying anybody should rush any reptile's growth. It doesn't matter what you're raising. But something like a box turtle, a lot of problems happen with box turtles, and they happen usually very quickly right away. Uh, You want to get them out of the fragile stage as quickly as possible. And you want to try to get them to be a little bold so that they're eager to feed. And this method, this water method, seems to work for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you could see why people might gravitate towards keeping them more dry. They're very land-based yeah. turtle and, and yeah, it's, they're going to get desiccated and, and probably a lot of them die just due to that. Oh, it's, it's constant, man. It, it, it's, uh, there's, there's guys that have like pet stores that'll call me up and you know, they're by, they're trying to buy baby box turtles in bulk for their store. So they buy like 50, whatever, 53 toed box turtles for their store. And then they're calling me up, man, I, I lost 25 of them already. What's going on? I'm like, how are you keeping them? I'm like, oh, I just got them on topsoil with a water bowl and a mercury vapor lamp. I'm like, dude, you're cooking them. Yeah. They are, they're literally, they're just sitting ducks. They're cooking. And, and that's, that's the other thing is they don't need that kind of heat. Box turtles are not walking around when it's 85 degrees and sunny. They're just not, they're gone. They're going to wait till the thunderstorm comes and drops it all the way down to the low to mid seventies. And then they're going to walk around because it's overcast. You know, so do so, you think that they make a good pet for the 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 hobby for for herpetoculture because of that? Because they they are going to be a species that are going to be hiding. Like if you're someone that's you know an advanced keeper and and you love the species, it's it's a different story. But if you're you know little Timmy that's going into a pet store that wants a turtle, mm-hmm. does that work out well, or do you think they should maybe be more reserved for advanced keepers? I you know I don't, I don't want to deter the young kid that you know if that's what's going to spark them to go further with what, with whatever, which whatever direction, whether they're going to become a zoologist or they're going to have an amazing reptile company, or they're going to, uh, you know, become a biologist, whatever. I don't want to deter them from it, but I think overall people need to just, they got to think outside the box a little bit because the internet is still loaded with, you know, inaccurate information. I mean, the Facebook groups are the worst, you know, they're, they're oh, yeah. still, you know, telling you should do this when you shouldn't do that. And, and I got tired of even, I left them all. I don't even, you know what I mean? But they're, no, they're not, they're not easy. Okay. Um, 
if you can set them up like that right away, you might find yourself seeing that it can be very rewarding. It's kind of a tough thing to answer because when you think about the structure behind the, the way I'm explaining to set them up, it's really not much. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a humid, putting them in a humid area, basically. And then putting another tub inside that with just some water and places to hide. And the point is to keep them at a consistent temperatures where they're staying warm and humid and, and then also giving them a day and day and night cycle because they do need that. They respond to that. Um, but it's, you know, it's not as straightforward as some other things and people tend to panic too. They, they the turtle hasn't eaten in a week, which by the way, is not alarming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially when you first get it. All right. That animal is going to take a while to settle. And don't forget that these animals can go in a, a very long amount of time without eating anything at all. The water is what's crucial. That's when it's going to keep them thriving for a while. Um, and I think people, they start getting frustrated. They lose their patience. They're, they're constantly picking the animal up and they're, oh, what's wrong with it? Let me take pictures of it for this guy so I can ask him. Let me post this on Instagram and see, you know, now you just stress the animal out. Mm-hmm. Now forget it. No matter how well you set it up, it's not going to eat for you, you know? So I think it's, if you can go into it with the right mind, it can actually be very rewarding for you. Um, but one thing I got to say, which this has been a little bit of a negative, um, reaction from Otis's, um, popularity, you're not probably going to get Otis, you know, mm. people, I want a box to run out. I want a box to run out. And I really hope people aren't going out and taking them out of the wild. Uh, cause you're definitely not going to get that, you know? No. Um, and you know, that's why I, I want people to understand is Otis it has nothing to do with his species. He really is a, one of a kind. We don't know what's going on with him. So I think people need to know that if, if they're trying to get a box turtle because they want Otis, that's the wrong reason to do it. You know, a box turtle naturally should be timid, uh, and, and should respond to hiding areas and, and human interaction by, you know, not coming to you for a hug or whatever he's yeah. trying to do, you know? So you go into it with the right mind. You truly love box turtles. And that, that's how I do. You know what I mean? I, I don't care how Otis acts like, sure. This is amazing for us that this is happening, but you know, I, I have hundreds of box turtles and none of them act like him. And I love them all just the same, you know? Mm. So it's kind of a fine line to say whether they're a good pet or not. I don't think they're the best thing to start with. You know, I think there are other species out there, you know, the, the Eastern Herman's tortoise uh, as a captive bred baby, you really can't go wrong with that. You know what I mean? That's going to be a lot easier to maintain and get a better, you know, reward out of, you know, mm-hmm. but Hey, if you're a kid like me and you grew up on box turtles and you can really put a, a good head on your shoulders and, and do it right from the get go, then maybe a box turtle is for you, you know? Yeah. Well, and the one thing for me, because I, I, I love seeing the natural environments and whatnot, and, and I love the natural habitat of a box turtle. I think it just yeah. looks cool. Like when you set yeah. up Otis's enclosure there, his pen, it just, I love the way it looks. It just looks so, it, it just looks like a place that you'd love to go for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that. I'm really happy you said that because that's exactly what I was going for. You know, when I took the pictures for his backdrop, a coworker and I were going to one of our sites to work and it was actually a spot that we saw a box turtle across the road. So we knew it was their habitat. We just hopped out, found a really cool spot, put the panoramic view on and just took the photo. And then that's what we printed out, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. It's so cool. You posted a really great blog post. Was it maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago now on, on your website and you, someone had left the, was it a comment on your YouTube channel or no, it was someone commented on, on the blog, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was a direct email. Actually, it was an email. Oh, so they it actually was, went out. Was of, des- yeah, dude. It was, it was designed to get to me. 
you know, it, it was, it was, it was, how can I, because, you know, we, we do listen to what, you know, the viewers want on YouTube and everything, but if, if people want me to keep <laughs> making videos and Casey and I keep making videos, we can't pay attention to the comments because you, you know how evil of a place social media can be. These people are allowed oh, yeah. to say whatever they want and they attack you for things that don't even have anything to do with the video, you know? So we, you know, I think this person knew that they weren't going to get our attention by posting a negative comment on one of our videos or posts. So they emailed us directly through the website. And I did in the blog post, I write out verbatim what the guy or woman says, but they wrote, um, Oh, what was it now? Jeez. It was, uh, you know, I just had it up here. I'll, uh, I'll pull it up. Yeah. Pull it up and read it. <laughs> Cause it's, it's worth saying I have the, I have. The well, that's, that was the thing. It was like, this needs to be, you know, this wasn't even out of anger. It was like this, this needs, cause this comes up a lot. I see people bullying each other all the time over this crap. Well, and it, it, this will just frustrate the listeners when they hear this. So this is the comment. You claim to be some herpetologist, but you keep common shit. Show us something rare for once. I can see better shit in my own collection. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's almost hard to read without laughing. Like it, it's yeah, I, kinda, know, I know, I know. It's so crazy. Yeah. But so, I can see how that would just like, oh, that would get you so mad. <laughs> yeah, it got me. You know, it was like my initial reaction. I mean, just like anybody, you read something like that and you're like, you're like, what the? you know, you want to kill somebody. And, but I, right after that, I just kind of was like, this is a problem. You know what I mean? And I, and I see it in the hobby, but even in the zoo world, you know, and even in the conservation world to an extent, you know, you got, everybody's got to work with the rarest species, the most endangered species. Oh, I, I, I have this. Yeah. Oh, you, you just have a box turtle, but I have this, you know, and I hate that, man. Who cares? You weren't a kid once with a red-eared slider. Cause I was, and I thought mm -hmm. it was awesome, you know? And that just prompted me. I hadn't written a blog in a while and, and we've been getting a lot of subscribers to the blog and the website. So I was like, I'm, I don't, this might go the wrong way for me. People might be like, Oh dude, shut up. But I don't care. Blogs are supposed to be what you're feeling anyway. You know? Mm -hmm. So I just, I went off in what I think is a very respectful manner. You know, I was, I wasn't, you know, losing my cool with it, but I, I just wrote this long blog post about how, if you are in this, just so you can brag about the species or the morph or the whatever you have, please get out. Just mm -hmm. get out of it now because you're ruining it for everybody else. And those are the kind of people that often fall into really negative situations to where the legislation that's already looming over our hobby gets a, a leg up. You know what I mean? Because they're usually the people that do something wrong. And it's just, it, it, I was just getting tired of, of it. And then at the fact that this person reached out directly through our website to make sure that one of us saw that email, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, it, I, I just, I had to address it. And, and I, I want people to know that it just doesn't matter what you keep. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you cool. You don't get a high five from anybody who, you know, is significant in this community or, or industry, whatever you want to call it. Because you have the rarest turtle from Asia or the rarest snake from Australia. Like, like who cares? Mm -hmm. Who Like, we all came from a place where you were just falling in love with what you found in your backyard or in the woods or what somebody got you from a pet store or what you saw in the pet store when you went to pick up your dog's food. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the people that lose that passion to me are, are just, you know there are some people that choose to keep just rare endangered species because they have a mission behind it, you know, and that's great. That's awesome. 
But if you're going to go around trying to make the person that doesn't have rare species or maybe not as many rare species as you feel small, you're a joke. You're a complete joke. You know, it's garbage. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit, you know? And I, I, the response to that blog was awesome. Um, people started sharing it like crazy. And I guess it hit a nerve because I think a lot of people were feeling that, you know, I think people were like, Oh, I don't know if I should post the photo of my three toed box turtle right now because it's not going to get any likes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You know why? Because it's a classic, amazing, beautiful species. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you can buy one for $20, but you can go buy the Asian version of it for 2000. Who cares, man? You know what I mean? And, and I wanted to say that as somebody who does have both common and really rare stuff too, you know? Uh, and it's funny, like people will even say to me like, you know, Hey, uh, respectfully, they're not trying to be a jerk or anything, but they're like, you know, you post a lot of photos of the box turtles, or red belly turtles, you know, and those are common species, you know, but, uh, don't you also have blah, 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 you know, which we do. And it, it's, I'm not like purposely not posting photos of that stuff. I just, I have no shame in my game admitting that these are my favorites and, and I just happen to gravitate to them. You know, they're not getting any better care than anybody else. Everybody's getting the same care, but I just find myself sitting in awe looking at these species that are very nostalgic from my childhood. And I, that's what I tend to focus on with my content sometimes. But hey, maybe you are a kid from Asia that the, your first turtle was like the rarest turtle in the world. But you know what? That kid is where that grown man or woman at this point is still passionate about that species because it's from their childhood. They're not into that just because of the price tag on it that the hobby's putting, you know? Yeah. So I just wanted to get across a a better message because I know people that have gotten out of it because, you know, that were doing really good things because they just couldn't take, you know, how people were viewing them anymore, you know? Yeah. And it is, it's almost like a glitch, and it's very reminiscent of the, the what we see on the morph side as well. Like you know, and you had said if you're in it for that reason, then you should get out. And and it's so true. Like a lot of times, those are the people that will lose their shirt on a on some sort of morph deal that goes awry. You know, all of yeah. a sudden, the, more, the the ball python they bought is now worth nothing because yeah. the guy next door has has bred it. And and it's just the wrong reason. But it's the same mindset. It's the same eagerness to have something that the next person doesn't have. Right. And and the a point that I loved that you made in the blog post was being endangered is not a badge of honor for these animals. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very much the opposite of that. And to exploit that Mm -hmm. as the keeper of it is just so wrong. It sucks. It's, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, it's endangered. Why are you smiling? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that sucks, man. That animal's endangered, like legitimately endangered, you know, and, and for terrible reasons, it's been eaten. It's been poached. It's habitat's gone. When it comes to snakes, people are still killing them. These idiots are still killing snakes, not understanding their importance to us directly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? How they're control, controlling uh, rodent populations. And I, I mean, you know, a timber rattlesnake can be responsible for eating anywhere between 2,000 and 4,000 rodents in one active season. Do you not understand the importance of that? You know? Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, it's not that I'm glad you said that. I wish I thought of that way to word it when, when I was writing the blog post, it is not a badge of honor. The animal is not cool because it's endangered and you certainly are not cool because it's endangered and you have it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's intriguing. Again, if you're in it for the right reasons, this animal is endangered. How can I put more of them on the planet so that it doesn't continue going this way? That's fine. That's great. I do that, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, Like you should have no shame in your game. Of red-eared slider is a drop-dead gorgeous animal. Not the albino, not the caramel pink albino, not the het for invisible bubblegum, whatever. 
Yes. The red eared slider, okay, is beautiful. It's our fault that there's that many of them. You know what I mean? But hey, guess what? They're not endangered. That's great. They're yeah. in places that they shouldn't be. Again, human error. You know, they're native here now when they shouldn't be. They're, I remember being in Jamaica and seeing them and not the Jamaican slider. It was the red eared slider, you know? Yeah. But, um, and, you know, I don't get, I don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not a morph guy. I like the natural appearance of any animal, but I'm, I'm not, I'm also not a fool. I'm not going to look at some of these morphs and, and, and to be disgusted at them to an extent. Mm-hmm. Like I was just at uh, Brian Barchick's place out in uh, the reptarium and uh, he's got, you know, all his massive retics uh, on display uh, in these big, beautiful enclosures, enclosures that these huge snakes can actually stretch out in, which most people can't do. And these col- the colors are, are out of this world. They're outrageous, you know? So yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the aesthetic, you know, aestheticness of it, you know, but it's just not my thing. I, I, you know, I I like the natural state of these animals, you know, and that's another thing that people are getting carried away with. You know, we have a ball Python in our lab at work and I was holding her the other day and I was just like, what is wrong with this snake the way it is? You know, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And it's, and it, you know, even you see this on the reptile side, you know, leopard geckos, for example, people won't keep a leopard gecko because they're just too common. And you think, mm-hmm. well, that's the weird reason not to keep an animal. You should keep it because you do love it. And, and right. I've even seen it in the comments and it's sort of the same sentiment that this person, you know, set, sent that to you. So did you ever respond to it or did you just respond on the blog or? I just responded on the blog, uh, you know, whether that person saw it or not is one thing. And, you know, the, the thing that I've learned over the years, you know, there was a time earlier in my career where, you know, and we've all done it, where you get negative comments from people and you just go back at them and it turns into a war. You might lose your cool and now you look like the fool, even though you didn't do anything wrong to begin with. And I, so I didn't want to do that. This, this was a different approach. This was, a, I'm going to take this comment publicly let people know what this person saw to me. And if they hear about it and they see the post, fine. You know what I mean? But to me, it was more, I'm not going to accommodate this guy or girl. Again, I don't know if it's a a woman or a man. I'm not going to accommodate them. I want to accommodate the people that might be suffering from something like that. You know, the kid that's thinking about getting out of it because he doesn't have as rare as species as the people that he is trying to network with at a reptile show on a forum or, or in a zoo, you know? And you know, I've, I've heard it, you know, I, I, people that I'm friends with have even said it like, Oh, I, I only keep endangered species. I only keep really, you know, if it's endangered, I keep it. It's like, dude, I remember when I had my first beer too, you know, but it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, it, whatever you love, it doesn't matter if you love it. it just, just love it. Cause you love it. You know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be it cares about its status, you know? Well, and you can kind of see how it's almost that mindset is very much like it, it's a sort of an artificial mindset in a way. I'm going to see if I can explain this. It's I, I, like the, the metaphor that I always use is imagine if giraffes weren't around, like they were extinct, but we found their fossils and we could set up their fossils and we would go, that is insane that that animal existed on the yeah. earth. But now that they do exist on the earth, there's a less of, a, of, of an appreciation for them. Mm-hmm. Not saying people hate giraffes or anything, but right, there, right. there's just as less like reverence about this animal that does exist. So there, there's this this strange thing that happens with just the human mind that you gravitate towards things. It's, it's more like a fantasy thing, like gravitating sure. towards some yeah. fantastical things. And it's um, it's kind of like the I forget exactly how she says it in uh, in Jurassic World um, when they're talking about why they created the hybrid well, uh, was because kids look at a um, 
oh, come on. She says, kids look at a stegosaurus like an elephant in the city zoo. You know what I mean? We've we've become desensitized to some of these animals, you know? Uh, I mean, a big deal, it's an alligator. Big deal, it's a crocodile. Big deal, it's a giraffe, you know? But you're right. If this animal was gone, okay, and we were unearthing its fossils for the first time, we would be like, what what is this thing, you know? And to me, that's one of the reasons why any reptile is incredible, because if you think about it, turtles with their shells exposed and and snakes having no legs and and just the capabilities of lizards you know and crocodilians like they're they're all they're all amazing but that that is exactly what happened and it's the same thing that they try to portray in that movie you know mm-hmm. is that we get bored with things we're gravitating towards the next big thing how can i become more oppressive how can i get more likes more comments more this more that you know um i don't even know if in the last like however many YouTube videos we've done, if we've even featured any of our really endangered species here, it's all kind of been like just whatever is being presented us to film at the time, you know, like like Otis came into our lives. So we filmed that the video coming out Sunday is about another very weird turtle that just came into our life last week, you know, but it's not anything rare at all, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I see, I see exactly, I definitely see exactly what you mean. That was a good, uh, good analogy there you know yeah yeah it, it's a sort of a mirage effect where you can never actually get to where you think you need to go mm-hmm. and one other thing that speaking of rare was the the blue box turtle that you guys had found can you right. just tell people a little bit about that and if there's any updates on that story yeah I mean, very little update but um yeah we were uh we were doing our um my wife runs the terrapin conservation initiative for the state and um she uh whatchamacallit um Anybody's familiar with it, you know, it's just a conservation project for the state where she uh, processes female terrapins is a constant watch on them. Uh, eggs are removed for artificial incubation, the whole nine. Really cool project. She's done some amazing work and she saved thousands of terrapins at this point in just three years. But um, we were doing terrapin work and we were on our way back, which, which you know, our area is the terrapin area. We were on our way back for the day. We weren't even out of the marsh yet. And here comes this box turtle just trucking it across the road, coming out of the salt marsh, not even in the woodlands. Like, like you know, so we were with two other of our friends that were helping us for the day and we all get out of the, out of the truck and, and like, you know, I'm used to seeing box turtles around here. So I didn't rush over to it, you know, um, plus it's not going to exactly run away, you know? So Casey and our friends go over there and the next minute I hear them making a big deal. And I think I was doing something on my phone and I'm getting out of the truck and they're like, you got to come see this right now. And I'm like, what? And I, I go over there and they're holding a blue box turtle, you know, I mean, bright blue skin, fire red eyes. It even had some white and some like blood red, orange markings. I mean, it was like, we were completely floored by it. And initially my, uh, my buddy, Andy and I, Andy from the national park service that was helping us that day, he, we were both kind of like, is this a, is this an Eastern box turtle? Or is this like, is this a Mexican, you know, but it, morphologically aside from the blue coloration it was all eastern everything about the beak the head structure the shell uh the legs everything about it was eastern box turtle but the color of the head just threw us for a loop now the box turtles in these you know barrier island areas and coastal populations are known to be very very colorful you know one in every three is like mind-blowing you know um and but this one was like something totally different so I reached out to Fish and Wildlife. I do a lot of work with them and they were uh, super excited about the turtle. They were like, oh my God, that thing's amazing. So we agreed to pit tag it, uh, fit it with a radio transmitter 
and release it. And then I would just radio track it, you know? Uh, so I, I tracked its movements for a little bit. This was fall when we released it. So the turtle, all it really did was it hung out for a little bit in the immediate area that I released it on that video. Um, I think it was the, the video that came out right after Otis's video, actually. And, uh, the, the story of the blue box turtle, that's, that's what it's called. And, um, I released them. I tracked him a couple times and, and just, uh, about two weeks ago, he's safe and sound. He is in his den for hibernation. I know exactly where he is. And now it's just a waiting game to see where he wakes up, uh, when he wakes up and um, what he decides to do. Because part of the reason why they want me to track him is to see what he's doing out in the salt marsh, you know, Um, because some of our, some of our associates um, that also do Terrapin work and stuff, they are running into, it's not a lot of them, but they're running into these like unbelievable looking males in the middle of the salt marsh too. You know, they, they don't know why. And the good thing is these are all protected areas. Um, it's all wildlife refuge, constant watch on these animals. So they're very safe where they are. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see why he's there, what he's doing, you know, maybe what he's looking for. Is he eating something that, you know, is only occurring there? I don't know. Yeah. It's so weird. And so could that population of, of box turtles that, that are, are fi- being found in the marsh, could they, are they sort of sequestered away from the rest of the Eastern box turtles in that area? Like, is it, or could no. it, is it like very easy to flow between those two? It's easy. You know, it's pretty easy. You know, you just, you go from one habitat to the other, they kind of bleed into each other. Um, and there's certain plants that are indicative of the area. So you know where you're at. Um, it was just kind of interesting to see him that far out into the marsh, especially because like I was saying before, box turtles like cover, you know, they, they want to be in a um, wooded area. You know, the, the, one of the most, one of the official names of the eastern box turtle which is never used but if you look on the taxonomic list it's listed as this is woodland box turtle because they love woodlands they like the spot the patchy sunlight where they can move into a little area of sun warm up and then get right out of it you know um some of these areas are so dense they're almost impossible to walk through you know if you're if you're radio tracking one of them so you know it's um it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know i don't know much yet like i said it's it's we're going into winter, so he's safely asleep, and I probably won't see him until sometime in April. Well, it will be fascinating to follow up with that story just because, yeah, who knows? Its behavior is one thing, and just the the, the way it looks is another thing. Very, two yeah. very strange and the, of that And one animal. thing to point out really quick, it's not age. He's a younger turtle. He's in his prime. You know, he's still got a lot of growth annuli on his shell. You can see he's not completely worn. Um, you know, so he's not, uh, cause sometimes people with, especially with the Gulf coast box turtles, they, some sources associate the blue and white heads with age, extreme age, you know, uh, and that's not the case with him. So he's, he's, uh, we did take genetics on him. I forgot to add that we took, um, oh, we took right. blood, uh, not blood. We took uh, clo- cloacal and uh, mouth swabs and, uh, we sent them out for genetic testing and, uh, but there's no word on that. Yeah. yeah that stuff takes a long time. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Well, maybe we'll kind of wrap up a little more questions with the, with the collection that you have or the animals that you have at your place because I was curious. Obviously, you know, we're talking about you keep a lot of species that are native to your area. Are you doing anything sort of biosecurity-wise to, to protect your animals from wildlife and vice versa? Yeah, we. Um, it's funny. I, that was one of the most popular questions I've gotten over the years. Uh, so I did a whole YouTube video on how we do that. And dude, like nobody watched it. It was like, it was like, I gave you guys the video, but you know how it is. If it's not, if it's not a turtle, uh, yeah, if it's not a turtle that's acting like a dog, a lot of people won't click on it. But anyway, 
uh, we do a lot. You know, we, we have very high powered electric fences around everything. We have three different camera systems. We have traps set every single night. Uh, we have dogs. Um, we have uh, motion sensors. We have sonic devices. Um, and we even have bird repeller devices that play during the day. Um, and <clears throat> one, one of the biggest problems we have in this area is with crows. And crows just love to eat turtle eggs. They have facial recognition, so they'll follow you around. And as soon as you turn your back, they'll grab an egg or a baby, or they'll even, they're even capable of picking up an adult spotted turtle that's like, you know, four, four and a half inches. And they won't really kill it, but they'll be able to pull it out of the pen and leave it out of the pen so that when they fly away and the turtle comes out of its shell, it's dispersed. It ends up leaving, you know? So, um, we, uh, we have this bird repeller device that, um, you can set it to repel the species you're trying to get rid of. And, uh, what it'll do is it'll play that bird's distress call and it'll also play two or three of its natural predators calls. So oh, for cool. crows, we have it set so that it plays the crow's distress call and it plays Cooper's hawk and red tail hawk, which are two birds that will eat, that'll go after crows. Um, and it works like a charm, you know, and, and it, and it, it's, it plays randomly so that the crows can't get used to it, you know? Okay, this is going to go off every, you know, like they're that smart. They can figure yeah, things out. Yeah, they're super smart. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we know that's, that's the kind of stuff we do. Um, you know, obviously with new animals, new animals are quarantined and stuff to an extent. Um, if it's from a, if it's from an unknown source, you know, or if it's, if it's an animal that comes with some background, you know, it'll sometimes be able to go in with another animal or a group of animals. But like I was saying with Otis, you know, we want to pair him up, but we're taking that very seriously. You know, he is a turtle that has been, he's just been the center of attention for a long time. So he's probably clean as a whistle and a new turtle that may not be could, some of those diseases are very serious and there's no cure for them. You know, Mm -hmm. they can wipe out a whole collection. So, yeah. So you have to be really careful, especially when you're dealing with wildlife right there as well. I mean, who knows what wildlife can bring in and you're dealing with the same species. So you do have to be careful. And I I know that the, the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Celtic reptile and amphibians there or Celtic reptile and amphibian. They're two, Mm -hmm two keepers that keep outside in the UK and they watched your biosecurity video. I'm pretty sure. So, and they used uh-huh. it so you can feel oh, really? good. At least some, yeah. Yeah. Oh. They, they, they learned a lot from it. I know that. Well, so that's awesome. <laughs> so you got at least one good view out of that that was implemented yeah. uh, for, for their outdoor keeping. Well, that's great. And the last thing I, I wanted to chat about as well was the, you, you do a lot of the hibernating outside with many of these species. And I was actually surprised to see how many of the species you do keep outside for, for the winter, considering New Jersey does have at least a little bit of a substantial winter. Yeah. I mean, it's way worse in the, in the Northern part of the state. You know, wh- when we get snow down here in the Southern portion of the state, we like jump up and down for it because we never get oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. It's rare down here. Uh, and, and because we're coastal, we'll get like a good snowstorm and then it's gone, you know, like mm-hmm. it all melts because of the salinity in the air and stuff. But anyway, um, but don't get me wrong, you know, we get, you know, we get really cold snaps and and we go up and down. That's the other thing. Like the high yesterday was 37. That was the high today. It was 55. Tomorrow is 70 and all week oh is in the sixties, you know, but then it'll, it'll just snap. You know, uh, we can have like a random 75 degree day in, in uh, February and then it's 20 the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's weird here like that. But, um, you know, the species that I hibernate outside are just species that can do it, you know, that, that, um, are able to be subjected to cold one way or another, or rather know how to respond to the trigger. Okay. Florida, 
Florida gets cold. Okay. A lot of people don't realize that I spent a lot of time in Florida. I have been in Florida where I am freezing, like, uh, you know, running to a store to buy clothes to, to get warm because I thought I could wear shorts. Yeah. I've, um, I've done the same thing in Florida too. It's shocking how cold right. it can feel in Florida. So our Gulf coast box turtles, our Florida box turtles, our three stripe mud turtles, our alligator snapping turtles. They have no problem whatsoever handling our winter here. It's just longer. You know what I mean? And I mean, it's been years and years and years of us doing it. And the animals just, they just end up following the same kind of cycle that the animals up here do. So, uh, you know, our Florida box turtles, I think they're the prime example. Okay. They, they wake up in April, just like the Eastern box turtles do. And by June, they start laying eggs for the year. The only difference between them and the Eastern box turtles are the Eastern box turtles lay in June, usually only once. And that's it. You get absolutely nothing else out of them. The Florida's keep laying all summer long. One, two, three, four, and some females even laying five clutches in one season. They're very prolific. Same thing with the Gulf Coasts. The three toads are a little bit more like the Easterns with reproductive behavior. But again, they all follow the same cycle. You know, they all, I just, I had, um, I saw two, three toads walking around today. And then right before I I signed on to talk to you, I made sure that they went down for the night because it's only like 40 degrees out there right now and they're gone. They found their forms, they went back down to them. So that, that is the biggest thing is making sure that these animals respond to those triggers. And it's the same thing with the Mediterranean tortoises, all three types of Hermans tortoises, several types of Greeks, marginateds, Russians, they can handle the winter here. And in some cases, which again, people don't realize, take the Russian tortoise and the Eastern Hermes tortoise, for example, their winters are worse than here. Their winters are worse than a lot of parts of the United States over there. Okay. Russian tortoises are buried under snow for what? Seven months, you know? And the other thing is snow is an insulator. Okay. Yeah. When it snows, we don't panic. We're actually like, this is great. It's it. They've got a nice blanket over them. They are really being kept at the ideal temperature now under the ground to stay inactive and not be in any danger. It's when it's dry, there is no precipitation at all. And it's that cold. That's when it can get dangerous. Cause if an animal for some reason makes its way to the surface and it's that cold, they're going to get frozen to death, you know? Yeah. Fortunately, that doesn't happen. But again, these species, they respond to the triggers. And take the alligator snappers, for example. People are blown away that we keep our alligator snappers outside for winter. They get all the way up into Iowa, okay? Right. They come from areas where they get a real winter. There's, um, you can Google it. There's a, an image on the internet of a researcher. I don't know what state he's in, but he's laying down on the ice. And the ice is that thick to where it can hold him. It's a grown man. And underneath him is a massive alligator snapping turtle just hibernating for the winter, you know? Wow. Yeah. And he's, he's, yeah. he's in that safe zone. He's down there in a consistent temperature. He's not freezing. The, the water's oxygenated. You know what I mean? It's, he's safe. Yeah. Metabolism drops way down and they just they hunker down. And so do you use, I know you have these little basically greenhouse things in some of the enclosures. Yeah. Do you use those for every species or do you allow some to just bury themselves down in their main enclosure and that call it a day? Anything from here, you know, from the Northeast knows what to do. You know, they don't need any kind of assistance, you know. The Blanding's turtles and spotted turtles hibernate underwater. The wood turtles hibernate underwater. Uh, the eastern box turtles dig into the ground wherever they want. They, they have a big pen that's partially in the woods, so they just usually pick a, an area with heavy leaf litter. Um, uh, you know, red bellies and painted turtles hibernate at the bottoms of their ponds. Um, with the Florida box turtles uh, and all the the um, most of the Mediterranean tortoises, 
they get the greenhouses so that they can kind of decide what they want to do. That's where I like to intervene a little bit. They still stay out year round, but by giving them those cold frames or greenhouses, they can regulate themselves a little bit more. You know what I mean? Um, and they do, they use them. They'll come out on warm days. They'll warm themselves up. They might take a drink. They might even eat a little bit, but then they go right back in and they disappear. Some of the tortoises, we actually barricade to them so that they can't get out. You know, some of the Western Hermans tortoises, they get barricaded in them because the Western Hermans, even though they can handle winter and there's technically no such thing as cold, too cold for them. They, a lot of them, depending on the locality of them, they come from these areas where the, 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 the climate's very mild. Okay. So just for a quick example, the Hermans tortoises, the Western Hermans that come from the island of Mallorca, it rarely gets above 80 degrees there, but it like never gets below 50 you know, so it's not hot. It's not cold. Our summers here melt a Mallorcan summer. They're blazing hot here, but then our winters can be frigid. So I like to keep them in a little bit more of a controlled setting, but the main reason behind those cold frames is to make sure the tortoises are staying out of an area that floods. Okay. Um, because if they pick a low area and dig in and I didn't see it and I have no idea where they are, and then we do get a lot of snow and then that area floods from it, the tortoise is not going to survive that. So the greenhouse keeps them High, a little bit of a higher area where there's not going to ever be a danger of water pooling, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And then I guess for the the native species, like the box, the East box turtles, are is that ever a threat as far as drowning or oh. they're, they're, they're good. They know what they're doing. Nope. They're good. Again, they're, they're, they're people say all the time that they're a tortoise. They're not, they're, they're, they are a member of the pond turtle family. If you don't believe me, go Google it right now. They're a North American amided. They're in the pond turtle family. Water is their friend. Uh, and in the case of the Gulf Coast box turtles, right now, ours are hibernating at the bottom of their ponds. That's oh, where wow. they are. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they have severe aquatic tendencies and they know how to behave as an aquatic turtle. It's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, that that is fascinating. Well, I, I and I love the YouTube channel. I think I was talking to you before we actually started recording. How I, I love the the channel. I love the editing. You know, your Thank wife you. does all the editing there. She does a great job. And and so so, what are some? Maybe you could just give like a quick outline of what you show on the channel. You've mentioned a few times, you know, Otis and whatnot. And what are some other things that people can can see on there? We're we're trying to organize it a little bit better now um, for people, but we. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. We, we, we do family adventures, you know, that usually involve actually always involve, you know, uh, reptiles or animals. Um, we're, we're raising our kids around this. So we we're very transparent with everybody that's watching our channel, like how we're raising our family and how we're trying to do everything as a family. Uh, so we go on these adventures, you know, into the mountains or somewhere else. Um, and then we do a lot of care stuff. You know, I always like to share with people the way that, you know, that um, things that work for me that could work for them. I don't, I don't try to tell people this is the only way to do it. I tell them, here's another option for you, you know, mm. uh, and here's the proof that it works, you know, and I, I'll show animals of all different ages that have grown up in the, you know, situation that I'm describing in the video so that they can see the proof that it works. Um, we'll do that. We'll do identification videos. I love doing that. I love showing people, no, this is what it is. And this is what this is, you know, and here's how you tell this from that. Uh, most of it is turtles and tortoises. Uh, I would love to, to get some more snake lovers out there to watch our channel because snakes are a big part of our life. It's what I do for my professional job. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so we do, we, we're gentle with easing the snakes into the videos a little bit because we know we have more of a turtle following. But, you know, people can really see anything. There's, there's videos that are funny. There's videos that are serious. When something 
goes south for us. We we're transparent. We show people that too. We just recently lost our dog. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was very emotional for Casey because, uh, that dog was like her, um, security blanket and, and medicine for when things weren't going well in her life. Uh, and he was always there for her and he became the garden state tortoise dog. And then we lost him. Uh, but then now we have a new dog. So we're just, just taking people through the day to day, um, crazy life we have here with animals, you know, and it's very turtle and tortoise based, you know, you've been forewarned, but <laughs> Yeah. You know. Well, it's a great channel and I, I love the content. I, I love seeing the, the enclosures and, and all the work that you guys are doing because it's it's nice when a channel is growing steadily and the animals ha- are in good welfare that are being shown. And it's, yeah. it feels good to, to know that there's a member of the reptile community that has a channel that's showing really good care and that's Thanks, being man. promoted. So that's Thank awesome. Thank you. That, and that's, that's what I need. I need to hear that stuff sometimes because sometimes <laughs> it's like, how am I going to keep, you know what I mean? Because you know, a lot of people, they, they want to see the most ridiculous things. And that's just not us. You know, we're, I, I want to show you how to keep the animals. I want to show you how to build things. And again, it's not the only way I'm just trying to show people what's worked for me or us, you know, and, uh, we love our family and, and the fact that we get to do all this stuff together. And, and that's what we're just trying to show people, you know? Yeah. So. It, it's awesome. Thank well, you. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you online, both the YouTube channel and any of the social media platforms and the website as well. Yeah. Uh, the website is just gardenstatetortoise.com. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, which is garden underscore state underscore tortoise. Uh, YouTube is just youtube.com forward slash garden state tortoise. And same thing with Facebook. We're on there. Um, so yeah, anybody that's, uh, just looking to take a ride with us, you know, we're, we're, pretty consistent. We're always, always showing you something. Awesome. Well, Chris, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I, we covered a lot of different topics here. So thank you so much for being generous, generous with your time and, and joining me on an episode. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. All right. That is the end of that episode. Chris, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. We covered quite a few different topics there, and I know the listeners will have enjoyed that as well. And I think we said, was it off air? Maybe it was on air. I forget. We'll also get Casey, your wife, on as well, because I would love to have a conversation with her too, because I know she's also a wealth of information. Listeners, I do hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2022. Make sure you go to the YouTube comments and and let us know how you liked the episode, especially if you're listening to this on audio, which is a, a fine way to listen to the podcast. It's just when you're listening to it on audio, it's very difficult to engage in conversation. So if you listen to it in your car and you want to have comments or have a little bit of conversation about the episode, go to the YouTube version of the video of the podcast because there you'll have other people talking about the episode in the comments. And it's a great way to meet other people as well. And if you are interested in finding more episodes or more information on any episodes, make sure you head to animalsathomenetwork.com. You can also join us on Patreon at Patreon dot com slash animals at home and finally thank you very much to custom for sponsoring this episode of the podcast you can find affiliate links and man you know even taking two weeks off i forget how to say these certain things you can find affiliate links in both the youtube description and the show notes and i think that's all i normally say at the end it's amazing how much of a habit i get into every week recording when you take two weeks off you forget everything anyway that's not going to happen again for the while because i will see you next sunday